there. We're going to be in the book of Jude. Today we're going to finish up the book of Jude. And I trust that our study this fall has been profitable and beneficial to you. Uh, Jude, we're going to look at the last two verses, Jude 24 and 25, while you're making your way there to the book of Jude. Um, I want to uh, thank Rob, uh, two week, uh, last week I guess, uh, filling in and preaching for me. And, and uh, trust that you were edified and blessed as he opened up the word of God uh, to us. And uh, hopefully you've been encouraged this week. Hopefully contentment has been part of your life this week as a result of sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's word. You do need to know some things about Rob. I think Rob was hired under false pretense. Um, he told us that he was a Dallas Cowboy fan, right? Now, you tell me, right, this is, you guys just tell me what you would think, right? He says one thing, the Sunday after the Cowboys lose to the Broncos, the Monday after the Cowboys lose to the Broncos, Rob comes into the office wearing a Denver Broncos hat, right? Okay? Last week, right, Cow I, I, I'm on the football fast, kind of, <laughs> they told me, that the Cowboys played really well last Sunday. And, uh, and so we took care of business on Sunday. Monday, Rob comes to church wearing a Kansas City Chiefs hat. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> now, so do you, do you think he's a Cowboys fan or not? I mean, let's, let's just, let's just quit. Those of you who say he's a Cowboys fan, hands up. Those of you who think he's not a Cowboys fan, Okay, we hired on false pretenses, brother. <laughs> All right, I've been waiting to say that. I've just been pining away. I can't wait. God's word, Jude. Let's uh, begin this morning by reading the epistle of Jude. We're going to read all 25 verses. <clears throat> and we're going to look at this morning. Our text is going to be verses 24 and 25. Verse 1. Jude. A servant, a slave of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that once was for all entrusted to God's holy people. Could you? Thank you, Scotty. <clears throat> for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling places, or proper dwelling. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for the judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, he did not dare himself care did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. 
Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand and the very things they do understand by instinct as, ir irra as irrational animals do will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. There are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, or behold, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all their ungodly acts and the they have committed in their ungodliness. And of all the defiant words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. And as we've seen, so up until now, he's been bringing his indictment against false teachers and heretics. And beginning in verse 17, he now gives the application. And that application is to remember, remember what the apostles have said to remain in Christ's love, and to rescue those who have been ensnared by this false teaching. But you, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold, that they said to you in these last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow their natural instincts, and who do not have the Spirit. And we saw that as we studied that verse, that that. The age in which we find ourselves in is not a surprise to the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, he forewarned us through his apostles. And he calls us now to be the salt and light in times like this. Verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves or remain in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Remain. Remain in God's love for you. Verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others or rescue others by snatching them from the fire to show others, to, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. And here's our text. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence with great joy to him, uh, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. Today we're going to look at verses 24 and 25. I've titled this message Final Assurances. Final Assurances. Wouldn't it be nice to have um, truly some final assurances, some lasting guarantees in life? Now, how many times have we heard people say, or maybe we've said to others, You have my word, only to have the word broken? Or, I've got your back, only to find out later that you've been stabbed in the back by the one who said they had your back. If something is insured, fully insured, 
Why do we have to read the fine print? Final assurances. Well, we look at these last two verses, Jude. God gives to us through the human author, Jude, some final assurances. Here's here's some that I want to think about that God gives to us in his word. How about Psalm 25, verse 3? No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. You put your hope in Jesus Christ, you will never be put to shame. There'll never, become, there'll never be a time in your life where you'll go, man, well, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have trusted God. I should have, worked, I should have gone my own way. Never be put to shame, the one who puts their trust in the Lord. Isaiah 45, 17 says the same thing. But Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You, Israel, will never be put to shame or disgraced to ages everlasting. Isn't that great? Never be put to shame to ages everlasting. You're not going to get like into heaven for 10,000 years and go, oh man, there has to be a better way. Joel 2.27 promises the same thing. Then you will know that I am Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Never again will my people be ashamed. The psalmist prays, in you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Never let me be put to. You guys are catching on here. Here's a key key word, right? Deliver me in your righteousness. Psalm 71.1. Here's your last chance, all right? In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Never let me be put to. Much better. Good job, Preston. Jude has written... This epistle to believers, to Christians who were facing the threat of false teaching heretics. Some undoubtedly had witnessed their brothers, sisters who had professed faith in Jesus Christ, members of their community of faith fall away. They had watched some who had said that they believed in Lord Jesus Christ apostatize and walk away. Some had embraced the immoral lifestyle of false teachers. Some undoubtedly were disillusioned and confused by the hardship that had come as a result of following Jesus Christ. And so to those whom Jude was writing, what assurances did they have? What would keep them from falling away? What guarantees were were they holding on to that would see them not only through this life but into the next? Well, Jude gives to us those final two verses We call it a doxology, but I call it a final assurance. Final assurances both now and forever. Final assurances for both now and forever. You say, what are those two assurances? The first assurance is this. God is able. God is able. This could be called the believer's security. It has been said that few doctrines of Scripture are more promising or more precious and comforting than the doctrine of eternal security. Few doctrines of Scripture are more uh, uh, precious and comforting than the doctrine of eternal security. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, If there is one doctrine I have preached more than another, it is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints uh, to the end. The perseverance of the saints to the end. Now, 
Spurgeon said that he's preached on that, more doctrine, on that doctrine more than any other. So I feel, I read that quote and I felt pretty convicted because I'm thinking, I don't know. I, just be transparent here. I don't know if I've preached on this doctrine like I should. So um, 2022, at the end of 22, you guys have 12 months to, to monitor my preaching and see if it ramps up at all. You can hold me up to uh, Spurgeon's uh, standard here. All right? So the security, the security of the believer, eternal security. One doctrinal statement that I read in preparing for today's message, uh, the article 13, the perseverance of the saints reads this way, and I, I included it here, I think I included it here. Listen to this doctrinal statement. Those whom God hath accepted in the beloved and sanctified by his spirit will never, and total, never totally and finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere to the end. And though they may fall, through neglect and temptation into sin, whereby they grieve the Spirit, impair their graces and comforts, bring reproach upon the church, and temporal judgments on themselves, yet they shall be renewed again unto repentance and be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. A lot of words. I hope you're able to read along and let that truth settle in and sink into your lives. God is able and he does keep his people. I like what this article of faith says. Even though many fall through neglect, sometimes we fall into sin and we, our lives, we backslide our lives because of simple neglect. We neglect the grace of God. We neglect the word of God. We neglect assembling ourselves with the people of God. And all of a sudden, what once burned hot in our hearts for the Lord Jesus Christ begins to cool. We become indifferent. Uh, uh, Kevin DeYoung, I, I saw, hopefully I can remember my quote. I put it on my phone. I don't have my phone with me. Uh, Kevin DeYoung said this, Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal to the Christian and righteousness seems strange to the Christian. That's worldliness. Isn't that a good definition? Worldliness is anything that makes sin seem normal to the Christian and righteousness seem strange to the Christian. And so when we neglect the things of God, there is this drifting away, this coolness for the things of God and temptation. There's things that come into our lives. It could be innocent, right? You're just driving down the road and all of a sudden, boom, a thought hits your head. A, a crazy thought out of nowhere, right? Sometimes it's, you know, something you just, you get hurt and you, anger just begins to root away in your heart and, and, and all of a sudden there's bitterness just spilling out of your life, right? Temptation. And even though we fall away at times, those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture assures us that the Lord keeps his people from falling away and we see that here in verse 24. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 are two verses that I think every believer ought to memorize and verses that need to be just worked into our lives. John writes, John the Apostle writes, and he says, My dear children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. What things has he written? John, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have written these things to you so that you don't have a get out of sin for free card. 
I'm not rid of these things so you would sin. But if anyone does sin, and that's all of us, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice, the covering, the full and final payment for our sin, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Jude is capturing the essence of this assurance that God is able to keep his people. You say, what is God able to do? Notice what God is able to do. God is able to keep you standing here. God is able to keep you standing here. Notice what Jude says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Keep you. This is one of Jude's favorite words that he uses. Um, he uses it in verse 1, verse 21 positively. God keeps his people, verse 21, God's people are to keep themselves in God's love. In verses 6 and 13, Jude uses that word again for keep, um, for the ungodly. The ungodly are being kept by God under judgment. And this idea of being kept, in verse 24, it means to guard or to protect to secure. The idea there is that God is able to secure his people. Uh, Paul, when he came to the end of his life in first, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, he said this to Timothy. He says, this is why I am suffering as I am. This is why I'm, I'm enduring what I'm doing. Uh, this is why I, I'm willing to go through what I'm going through. Yet for this, yet this is no cause for shame. Following Jesus Christ the accompanying sacrifices and suffering that accompanies following Christ is no cause for shame because I know in whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to keep or guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I have given him my life and he's able to keep it until that day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul's doxology to the Thessalonians. Verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is able to keep his people, keep us from what? Keep us from stumbling. To keep us from falling. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. The idea there of stumbling is the idea of a horse that is sure-footed. He will keep you on your feet while you're journeying here on this earth. He will keep you from falling into the ruin of sin, then letting your life just go so far. He's, he's keeping you. He's keeping you from the final judgment. And so Jude here is just reminding us, he says, as we go through this life, we're being kept. Now we know that we're not necessarily being kept from trials or troubles or heartaches. We're not being kept from loss or suffering or persecution, but we're being kept. We're being kept and protected and guarded and secured by God, by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the assurance that you have. Think of one commentator, Doug Moo, says how many times as we go through life, our, our trouble and anxiety, uh, doubt and anxiety are our constant companions on our earthly pilgrimage, Doug Moo writes. We worry about our health, about money. We worry about our children, about our jobs. 
In sober moments, we perhaps become anxious about death. God does not, God does not promise to take away these worries, but he does take away our greatest worry, where we'll spend eternity. Do we reflect this confidence in the way we live? Do we truly value heaven enough so that our earthly worries, while sometimes pressing, fade in importance in light of eternal destiny? This is the assurance that Jude is trying to lift our eyes to. God is able to keep you from stumbling. But not only is God able to keep you from stumbling, here, God is able to deliver you spotless there. God is able to deliver you spotless there. Jude moves from here to there. And not only is God able to keep us from stumbling here, but he's able to deliver us spotless there. Notice what it says. Um, he says, and to him was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. This is the confidence that the Apostle Paul had in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I am confident that he who began a good work in you will what? <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess that's what happens when we don't have one version. I don't understand a word you guys said. Uh, uh, um, we'll carry it on to completion, what? Until the day of Christ Jesus. God will complete God will finish the work that he has started in all of us. And we take a look at our lives and we say, man, <laughs> when I was a kid, we had this little lapel button that you'd stick on your lapel. And it had a bunch of letters on it. I can't remember what the letters were. I mean, I could figure it out. But it, basically, the letter said this. Thank God he's not finished with me yet. Or something like that. I don't know. But that's the truth, right? Thank God that he's not finished with me yet. When Paul faced his own death, he wrote Timoth Paul wrote to Timothy these words in first Tim Second Timothy chapter four, verse sixteen and eighteen. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what Paul says? Paul, Paul said, man, and I was, in my defense, everyone deserted me. Yet, the Lord stood with me. The Lord strengthened me. The Lord empowered me, enabled me to speak through him. And the Lord rescued me then. And Paul's confidence was, listen, he's done this in the past and he's going to see me home. He's going to see me home. How many of us here this morning have been disappointed? People have let us down. People have deserted us. The Lord has not deserted you. The Lord will not desert you. Paul said, he saw, he's seeing me home. And I say to you this morning that the Lord is seeing you home as well. Jude said, God is able to present you. The idea is able to make you stand. He's going to make you stand before his presence. 
how are we going to stand? Loso says, without fault. Without fault. Now him, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you before his glorious presence without fault, without blemish, without blame. The problem that we have is we don't feel blameless, do we? I mean, we know our life. We remember what we did when we were 16 years old or what we did when we were 66 years old. Right? We have a long memory. And people have longer memories, right? And they remind us, you never, you always. And Satan, the accuser of the brethren, has a longer memory. You prayed that prayer? And you promised that? And you ended up saying that? And you wanted that? And you wished that? Now how many times are you really going to pray that prayer and then go back to your websites Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault. How are we going to stand blameless on that day? Not our promises, not our effort, only by Jesus Christ. We read that scripture earlier this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to God the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless, without fault, in his sight. And there's that day when you're going to stand before God and, and your faith in Jesus Christ is going to be the righteousness of Christ is what the Father's going to see. That's what's going to see you through. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, or 22. Now, but now he has reconciled you by God's Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from every accusation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Amen? What, what does it mean to, be, to present you with great joy? Well, I, I don't know, but I'm going to give you two options, and I'm going to believe both, all right? Here it is. First option is this, that the Father is going to rejoice when you get home. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable of the, the steward with the talents, right? The one with five, earned five more, had ten. The one had two, had two more, four. The one who had one hid the ground, the, the one who had five, the one who had two. What did he hear? Enter now into the joy of your master. <laughs> um, God's just not tolerating us till we get home. He's looking forward to the time we get home. 
the prodigal son, right? The father saw the son from afar off and ran. And then there's the hymn. Got to go to the hymns, right? Um, when we all get to heaven. You guys remember that hymn? Remember the course? <laughs> yeah, Lauren, help me out, man. Yeah. Uh, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. So I think it's both. The Father's rejoicing, and when we get home, it'll be our rejoicing. The one who is able to keep you. Keep you standing here, deliver you spotless there with great joy. Finally, home. So Jude gives us uh, the first assurance, the first final assurance. God is able to keep you standing here. And ultimately, he will deliver you spotless there, but there's that second assurance in verse 25, and that is that God is worthy. God is worthy. And this is the believer's praise. Verses 24 and 25, we call this in a doxology. A doxology in New Testament basically had four parts. There's the person who is praised. Here, God who is able. There's a word of praise. It's, a verse, it's in our text, verse 25. There's an indication of time, usually forever, or forever and ever. And then there's the concluding amen. We see this pattern here in verse 25. Notice the word of praise. God is worthy to be praised. Why? Four reasons. Let me go through these quickly here. God is worthy of our praise because he is God alone and there is no other. He is God alone and there is no other. Notice what Jude says in verse 25. To our only God, to the only God our Savior. Right? To the only God. Jude is just emphasizing us that there is only one God. There is, he's contrasting in verse 25 what we saw in verse 4. That those who, the false teachers who had crept in. They had come in, they had denied our only Lord and Savior, Master, Jesus Christ. And Jude is just reminding us here in verse 25 that there is only one God and there's only one Savior and his name is Jesus. There, Jesus isn't one of many gods. There isn't, as one religion will say, that Satan is the brother of Jesus. There is only one God, God alone. I, I like what Jeremiah said. You, you guys got a few minutes? I, I took a little bit too long. You guys okay? Cow I mean, it's 3.30 is kickoff, and, and so we're good, man. And so, uh, <clears throat> and we're all going to Rob's house anyways to make sure that he's wearing cowboy gear anyway. So, uh, Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter 10. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 10, if you have your Bibles. Let me just, let's take a look at these verses here. Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. Hear what the Lord says to you, people of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by the signs in the heavens, though nations are terrified by them. That idea there in verse 2 is don't, be a, don't, don't go the way the nations, looking to the stars for your direction. Don't, look to, don't turn to your astrology charts and your horoscopes. Don't be afraid of them. Don't follow the way of the world. Right? That's what he's saying in verse 2. For the practices of the peoples are worthless. They cut down a tree out of the forest. The craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber patch. Isn't that a great description? 
like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. Their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, God says. Why? Because they can do you no harm and they can do you no good. No one is like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. Old Testament, New Testament, God is worthy of praise because he is God alone. And not only is he God alone, but he is Savior alone. There is no other. He is Savior alone, no other. Jude emphasizes that in verse 25. Um, He says, um, to to the only God, our Savior, to the only God, our Savior. There's not many ways to be saved. There's only one way. There are not many saviors. There's only one Savior. God alone is our Savior. The gospel message, the message that, that we hope to share yesterday through our loving deeds and kindness with our neighbors is that there is only one way to be saved. There's only one person who can save you from your sins. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He is God alone. He is Savior alone. He is sovereign alone. There is no other. He is sovereign alone. There is no other. Look what it says. To the only God our Savior, what? Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Or authority. Yeah, power and authority. Dominion and authority. Let's take a look at those four words. Glory. His weighty and majestic presence. The word glory there is doxa. We get the, our doxology that I think we're going to be singing later on in the service here. It speaks of God's wor- his, his worthiness to be praised. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. Right, kabod? Yeah. And that word, Hebrew word, means heavy. Weightiness. Remember back in the 70s when somebody would say something that was really deep and profound we'd say that's heavy man that's heavy man God is not light he's not trivial he's not the man upstairs he is God almighty He is weighty. To him be glory. To him give the weight that is due his name. To him be majesty. His kingly status, his greatness, his supremacy. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 3 says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. The majesty, the greatness of God. His um, power or dominion speaks of his, his, his control over all the world. It speaks of his omnipotence, that God's power is without end. What is impossible with man, and there are a lot of things that are impossible with us, right? Most everything is not impossible with God. 
We're going to look at the Christmas story in a few weeks, right? The angel's announcement, to Gabriel's announcement to Mary. How can this be? This is impossible because I'm a virgin. All things, Gabriel says, are possible with God. Jeremiah the prophet says, uh, is the arm of the Lord too short? Is anything too hard for God? And so to him be glory and majesty and dominion because all things are possible with him and authority, his right to rule. His authority, to him be glory, honor, power, um, um, and authority. Do you remember the kid's song that we learned when, when we were kids? He's got the... Yeah, you guys, man, you guys are doing great. This is like, I'm, we're going to play music trivia, and you guys are on my team. Us against Drew, and we're going to win. <laughs> Do you, he's got the whole world in his hand. Now think about it. The things are not running willy-nilly on this world. That things are spinning out of control. Satan is not winning. This world is not being governed by a deity that is asleep. Human extinction, all the things that this world is afraid of, human extinction is not going to happen because he's got the whole world in his hands. The polar caps are not going to melt and the earth is not going to burn up because of global warming because he's got the whole world in his hands. Now, let me just, that doesn't mean that we're just reckless environmentalists, right? Responsible stewardship, but God has got the whole world in his hands. Losing your salvation is not a possibility because he has you in his hands. One commentator summarized it this way. For his glory, he will keep me. In his majesty, he will keep me. Through his power, he will keep me. By his authority, he will keep me. I, I, take, I take a look at those words and I say, now that's, <laughs> that's a final assurance. That's a final assurance. So here's the last thought. God is God alone, he is Savior alone, he is sovereign alone, and he is eternal alone. There is no other. To him be glory, power, majesty, dominion, before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. God is eternal. Before time began, he was God. Right now, in the good times and the bad, he is God. And through all eternity, he is God. He always has been God. There's never a time when God will not be God. In the worst of times, in the best of times, we need to know and we need to remember and we need to rely and we need to believe on the fact that God is God and God alone and that our hope rests that there will be never a time when God will stop being God. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion the authority for now, or before time began, now and forevermore. Amen. So, what is going to keep your head above water in this life, this week? What's going to keep your feet firmly planted on solid ground? in this life.
this week? What's going to keep you sane when all hell breaks loose? And what you never imagined possible becomes real in this life this week. Jude says, God is able. That's your security. And God alone is worthy. Lift up your voice. Give him your heart. Trust him. What idols might you be worshiping even as you read these verses? Gods that you have erected in your mind, my job, my kids, my health, my future, my marital status. God is the only God and he demands our obedience, he demands our worship, and nothing must, must be allowed to be able to rival our affection for him. And Graham Lotz, the daughter of Billy Graham. I was thinking about that. Uh, let me just go on with that. She posted an Instagram account. Listen to what Anne Graham Watts wrote. I am forever grateful for parents and grandparents who taught me about anchoring my faith in God's word by, the words, by their words and by their example. As a result, when I was a young girl, Anne Graham Watts wrote, I placed my faith in God's word that told me I was a sinner, that God's son had come to be my savior, that through faith in him I could be forgiven, receive eternal life, be born in, again into his family. My faith, she writes, remains firmly fixed today in a world that is spiraling down at warp speed. I know that I am eternally secure. Whatever unfolds, whether cancer, death, COVID, war, skyrocketing inflation, cancel culture, racial tension, and the list goes on. It's this blessed assurance that I am safe forever that I want my granddaughters to have for themselves. And it's this blessed assurance, this final assurance that I want for you as we finish this book of Jude to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you without spot without blemish with great joy before his glorious presence to him be all glory majesty dominion authority before time began now and forevermore. Amen. Remember the song, Blessed Assurance? Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, 
born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring forth from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long.